0: See you guys, glad to see you brave in the cold and she made it in here. I'm a little under the weather, so just don't hug me or kiss. My whole family's infested, so I was like spraying stuff like around my whole house this week. Um, yeah, infested. Yeah, infested and infected. Thanks. Thanks, Bob, for your gracious correction always. It's, if you're new to Church we just have, you know, I guess uh, you can talk anytime you want. You can call me out if I say something wrong or if I look weird or... You know, so, uh, yep, thanks. But uh, it, is, it is really, really good to be with you on this freezing, ungodly, cold day. And uh, good to be inside here uh, to worship Jesus, and, and great to see you guys uh, this morning. Always great to be with the family. Um, if there are burden kids, I think they all left, but you guys can head outside. And um, If you're new or visiting, uh, this is just very simply a worship service. We love to teach the Bible here. We love Jesus because we believe that He is God, that He came and rescues and ransoms sinful men and women to Himself. Um, for his glory and for his ultimate praise. And so uh, we just come together to, to celebrate that and to enjoy that. So that's why we're here. Uh, we love just teaching through the Bible because that's God's written revelation to us. It tells us all that we need to know about this one who is Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 9. We've been in the, the gospel according to Luke. Um, it has been a Fantastic walk, and uh, if you're just kind of jumping in new or kind of wondering what this gospel is, you know there's uh, basically four gospel accounts that all account for the life and teachings and works of Jesus. They all have kind of different motives and reasons for writing, but, but they all want you to know more about him. So here's what Luke is doing. Luke is a guy who's a doctor. He traveled with Paul, he traveled with um, a lot of different people, but he is here writing to Theophilus, who's a Roman official. He is skeptical or wondering about the life and teachings of Jesus. if he can trust them and not just trust them and know them, but be transformed by them. And so um, here's what we're going to see is him continuing to lay before us the reason that he is writing this letter. And so um, we're at Luke chapter 9, and this is a, a really important chapter in Luke because it's really a, a door hinge for Jesus' ministry. So you're pretty much in Luke chapter 9 at year one and a half of Jesus' ministry, okay? So he's now going to turn the corner by the end of chapter 9, turn his face towards Jerusalem where he will ultimately go and die and pay the debt and rise for those he will call and ransom to himself from sin, okay? So uh, that's what he's going to do. So here you're going to see this subtle shift in Jesus, okay, in his ministry moving from who he is. Now, if the This is who he says he is. What does that mean for us? Okay, so he's been begging that question, this whole gospel, we, we, you can't get away from it. This whole gospel account has been him constantly having people, this, this building of who is Jesus, what is he like, can we trust him? People asking, people wondering, and here this morning, the disciples get it right, and based upon this right profession and confession, it, it matters, okay? So if, if he is that, then what does that mean for us? I mean, how does that, how does that change anything? And so uh, that's what we're gonna see this morning in Luke. And here's what you need to know, last week we uh, talked about. About the feeding of the 5,000, just that beautiful, profound miracle. We saw much about Jesus. And then Luke jumps right here to where Jesus is walking with the disciples, and he asks them who he is. Now, there's a lot that happens uh, in between there so uh, that Luke doesn't mention. Luke doesn't mention it because that's not his primary purpose in writing this letter, okay? So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wants to ramp up who is Jesus. That's his Point. He wants to convince Theophilus and all of us of who he is. So you can see throughout his gospel him building that. What does he do? He has the angelic testimony. He has the testimony of the virgin birth. He has a testimony of demons themselves. He has a testimony of Satan himself in the wilderness, the testimony of God the Father himself at his baptism. You have all these things happening that ultimately it gets to where people are asking who he is. Right, Luke chapter 8, we saw the disciples in the boat asking who he is. Then we saw Herod ask the question two weeks ago, and here it's going to get answered. Okay, so there's a lot that happens in between here, though. He actually leaves, heads up north after the feeding of the 5,000. He uh, feeds the 4,000, the Decapolis. He heals a lot of people, the Phoenician's daughter, the the blind man he gives sight to. Um, There's a lot that he does, and then he makes his way back here, um, and that's what we're going to pick up in verse 18. So look at Luke chapter 9, verse 18, and here's what we read. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do you say the crowd say that I am? Or who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah. Others say one of the prophets of old have risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Okay, so, so understand up until this point, he is, Luke has been pushing this whole notion forward of who is Jesus. Who is he? I mean, is he just a magic man? Is he just a wonder worker? Is he just a prophet of old? Is he like Elijah? I mean, that guy never really died. He took his chariot up in heaven. Maybe he came back. Is that John the Baptist? We know he was beheaded by Herod, so it's not him. I mean, he was preaching this gospel of the kingdom, this gospel of repentance. Who is Jesus? Now, here's what you're going to constantly see. No one's going to deny his works. Like, no one's going, App ah, didn't heal that guy. Nope, didn't raise that person from the dead. Ah, didn't give that... Blind person sight or that deaf person ears to hear. He didn't. He didn't do that. No. No one's going to not acknowledge that. What they'll never acknowledge is his deity, and in his deity, who he is as Messiah. Right. We talked about this last week. That's how spiritual depravity works. You got to find some other way to make a claim on Jesus where you can get out. Right. Where you can get out clean. Because if he is the Messiah, you got to deal with your spiritual problem. Right, but if he's not, then you can just kind of have an arm's length at him as just kind of this cool guy that joined everybody else in the succession of prophets. But I don't have to submit to him. I don't have to obey him. He's not authority. Uh, He doesn't have sovereign authority over all things, so he can just kind of be who he is. But but Luke is driving home to us: no, he's much more than a prophet. He's much more than a magic man or a wonder worker or man. He's he's the Christ. He's the Christ (laughs) of God, and so here we have someone get it right, basically, as they're walking. And it says he was alone praying um, in in the sense the disciples were nearby. They weren't directly in his presence. And just On the side I mean, you could do a whole sermon on this, but seven times Luke basically mentions Jesus praying. So we know that he basically, it was important to Luke that he would intercede to the Father, that he would pray to the Father. Now most times, um, it's not because, Jesus never prayed because he needed forgiveness of sin. Okay, so if you're wondering, Jesus didn't pray because he had sin in him, he was sinless, he didn't need like uh, confrontation from God or change, right? He most of the time prayed to intercede for those who were already his. Okay, so if you just read John 17, just write it in your Bible or write it on, on a piece of paper, you'll see a lot of kind of window into Jesus' heart in his prayers, kind of what he prayed for and what his prayers were like. But here he's praying, and then he comes to the disciples, and he says, hey, everybody's chatting about who I am. It's really starting to cause a riot, and, he said, and they're all answering the questions, and he says, but who do you guys say I am? Right, that's the issue for all of us, right? I don't care about what your mom says Jesus is. I don't care about who your friend says Jesus is or who your professor says Jesus is or who your pastor says Jesus is. Who do you say yes? And And Peter, I love it, just no bones about it, straightforward, gets it right. Peter, the spokesman for his disciples, says, you're not just another person in succession of prophets. Man, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the one who's come to pull back darkness and heal the spiritual brokenness. That's who you are. Now, we know that they don't fully understand it all, but they get that right. There's fluctuations in their faith. There's ups and downs. There's a little bit of mystery, but they get this profession right about who he is. And Peter says, we know who you are. You are the Christ of God. Now, see, this is why you have to deal with who Jesus is in everything, okay? I feel like this is such an issue in our evangelism, right? But We want to start on everything else, outside of him, right? Which isn't wrong, and it's not sinful, it's just not really helpful. Okay, so we'll, we'll start at creation with a six days, or like 10, or how many hours? Or we'll go to eschatology, no, this is how the exact end of all things is gonna happen, or we'll get into apologetics of peripheral things which are all well and good, but listen, if you don't get Jesus first, work your way out. It doesn't matter. Right, like if Jesus isn't who he says he is, close up shop. I mean, who cares about creation number of days, end times, all that stuff. It all hinges on him. He's the center by which all other planets in the scriptures rotate. So you have to start with him. So when you're talking to people, a great question is, who do you think Jesus is? And start with his resurrection because, listen, Paul will go on to say, if he didn't rise from the dead, man, who cares? Who cares about anything else that comes out of your mouth? You might as well just be pitied by people. This whole thing is a sham. And that's why this is so important that we get who Jesus is. Either he is who he says he is, the very incarnate God, the very one who came as human flesh, fully divine, fully man, never sinned, lived the perfect life of obedience, goes to the cross on your behalf for the wrath of God towards you in sin. And he alone absorbs all of that as he sheds his blood, the only blood that can atone and remove sin, the scriptures say, to then resurrect to validate all of that to then if you lean into that and trust that, he gifts you with his spirit, puts you in his family, in his church. I mean, you got to start with him. Okay, now let's move out and let's talk about creation because Jesus was at creation, so let's talk about it now. So let, let's, let's, this is, Jesus is asking the question that all of us have to deal with and should be asking. And so here he argues about who Jesus is, and then it takes a turn. Look at verse 21. Interesting turn. If you're, if you're the disciples and, and you finally get it right, And then he looks at you and says, hey, don't tell anybody. (laughs) Verse 21, and he strictly, strictly, right? That's your dad when when you were young, and he kind of looks at you with that stern look. Hey, I mean it though, right? Don't do this, right? He looks at them sternly, strictly, charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one. What a bummer. (laughs) We finally get it right. We can't tell anyone. saying, this is why the Son of Man must suffer many things And be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes. He's basically lumping together the religious establishment. Okay? There are specific people that have to reject Jesus. Okay? And he's got to be killed. The Messiah has to be killed. And on the third day be raised. Okay. Amazing. A critical new fact has to be learned. Up until this point, they didn't know this. Because listen. When the disciples and the Jewish people of the day, when they heard Messiah, when they heard Christ, what they thought was set up shop, make him king, overthrow Rome, our life's going to be good. Israel's going to be in the limelight. And Jesus is going, no, no, no. I'm going to set up my kingdom, but, but there's a pathway to that. And, and I've got to die first. And there's a religious establishment that needs to kill me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rise again. So you can see this amazing mystery being revealed from Jesus. And they can't, understand, they can't reconcile that if you're the Messiah, why do you have to die? Like if, if you're it, if, if you're the answer to all the Old Testament longings, why do you have to die? They, they, can't, they can't bridge those two things together. Because from what they knew of prophecies, what do they know? He was going to usher in his historic reign, Right? He's going to be the redemption for people. Tribes, tongues, nations. What do you mean you have to die? I mean, Can't you do it now? That'd be nice. So Jesus is revealing that we can't say anything yet. Because if they did, then he'd be hoisted up as king. And God's plan would not be fulfilled. Now we know that God will always fulfill this plan. (laughs) So this is part of Jesus just acknowledging what he knew would already occur. Would already happen. And so Jesus says, this is how it's going down. This is the plan. I'm going to go die. Isaiah 53. It's, it's going to be fulfilled and be bruised for sin, right? I'm going to be the, the lamb slaughtered for sin. I'm going to rise again. He's just showing that there's more to happen, verse 23. Interesting now where verse 23 falls. A lot of us probably are familiar with it, or we don't want to read it, so we white it out. This is, this is one of those verses. By the way, I'm sorry, it's Valentine's Day. This is just where we landed today, so it's not going to be a, a happy, happy, hey, lovey, hand out chocolate morning. Okay, let's. Jesus <laughs> Jesus is going to turn it up here. Okay, he's, gonna, he's ramping it up okay? from here on out, so buckle your seatbelt. Verse 23, and he said to all, if anyone, this is everybody now, looks at everybody, hey, if, if anyone would come after me, okay, you just heard who I am. You heard the profession. I'm the Christ. I'm the Messiah. I'm the, I'm the one who's going to basically ransom those who are sinfully dead in their sin, bring them into marvelous light. I am it. I'm the one who's going to bring in the historic reign. I'm the one who's going to resolve the sin sickness of humanity, you want to follow me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me okay, here, here's where the shift starts to happen in Jesus okay now here's where the rubber meets the road here's where it really starts to get personal for us okay you want to follow me three things deny yourself pick up your cross and then follow me that's who you say I am you say I'm the Christ okay here's the right response to me being the Christ Now let me just say something up front. This is not an option. Like, like Jesus doesn't say, you can think about following me. You can think about denying yourself. You can think about taking up your cross. You can, no, if you're going to, this is how it flushes itself out. So listen, there, there's this weird belief in evangelicalism. That there's like the Christians and then like the real disciples. Right? Like it's kind of like the, the the dual reality. Listen, no. To be a Christian is to be a disciple, okay? So, so, so to be a follower of Jesus, and this is gonna be amazing to hear, is to be a follower of Jesus, okay? So listen, I mean, you got 1 John 2, say, hey, if you're gonna abide in Jesus, you're gonna walk like Jesus walked. You're gonna look like him. You're gonna act like him, function like him, okay? So, so it is the embodiment of Jesus, right? He now indwells in you. So a disciple of Jesus is someone who first, he says, denies themselves, Okay, this isn't necessarily denying things, okay? This is not you living in filthy rags and setting up a hut and selling your house, okay? God might call you to that, but he's talking about basic control of your life and a little bit of identity, which we'll get into in a minute, but he's basically saying you lose control of your life and your wants and your desires and insisting on all that you insist on. You deny yourself because you've been bought by a new master. And Jesus says you deny your very self. Now listen, this is alien. To the culture we live in alien I mean we are obsessed with self-love right I mean the goal of life according to culture is every rational desire you have should be given to you right everything you want is insisted upon privileges rights accolades prestige everything man that's you deserve that you work hard for that you want that because you love yourself right that's how, that's how you find happiness. That's how you find wholeness. And Jesus comes along with a totally different message. It's not the goal of life is desire whatever you want and see it fulfilled. The people of God do not insist on anything. man. They enter the kingdom of God humbly, thankfully, gratefully, knowing that a God rescued them that who, who were lost in their sin into a holy kingdom by no act of their own. Grace, right? I, I deserve nothing. I'm, I'm dying to all my wants and rights. I mean, I didn't barter with God. I I didn't form some contract with him and say, hey, now some of us maybe functionally act like that. That's not what happened in our covenant of God in the gospel. Right, so he's saying, you deny your rights. You deny control of your life. Your hands are up. Surrender. Because you have a great master. Because you can trust your master. You can trust the one who bought you out of sin. And it's amazing, this idea here of him saying to deny yourself. Now, this also has a little bit to do with identity um, because it's amazing. If you look at the word for deny yourself, that word self is actually speaking to like your psyche, your inner self, the way that you view identity and worth. So, so basically what's it saying? There, there's a shift happening to you. You're denying everything that you think will make you worthy. Right, so what is identity? It's, it's your, what you think your worth and worship is and worship is of. Right? That's where you find your worth. That's where you find your identity. So if you are placing your identity in people's expectations, in marriage, in fame, in prestige, in whatever it is, right, there's a shift in your identity when you meet Jesus and follow him to your worth is bound up in him. So you're not not chasing other things for worth and identity. You're you're finally found in him. You're satisfied in him. So you don't have wants or drives or derivatives to those things anymore. Your identity changes. You deny yourself the the achievement you want, the prestige you want, the fame you want, the worthiness you want because it's all in him anyways. It's, It's this amazing dual reality of you denying control and you denying what you understood about who you were and everything that drove that in you. I think any, any of us could say that if we're a Christian, right? I mean, what drove your life before doesn't drive you now. If it does, I don't know that you're a Christian. Because that, that's, that, there's a total transformation that happens within you. So now you find your worth and significance not in who you are and what you do and the, 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 the idolatry of achievement and all that culture slams in our face, but in Jesus. He's what we have. He's who we see. And that's why he says next, take up your cross daily. Okay, so if you deny yourself, if you deny yourself control of your rights, if your identity shifts and you start functioning in that new self in that way, people aren't going to like you. You're going to take up your cross. You might suffer for it. You might even die for it. Now, we don't understand that. Many of our brothers and sisters around the world do understand that. They absolutely understand taking up their cross literally, taking up a death instrument and carrying it, knowing they're denying all the rights. I, I'm not following Jesus so I can live till I'm 95. I'm following Jesus because he calls me to bid and die to all his wants, all his allegiances. And so here you take up your cross, you follow him, and if it means rejection, if it means suffering, if it means you're okay with that because you count the cost. Because what you're gaining is infinitely more valuable than the cost. Um, I mean, any of us know this when you become, some of you guys know this in your family, the rejection that immediately happened, right? You looked at it as the loony bin, or a little crazy, right? Some of you guys, in your work, the little things you do that you're seen as a little off, different, otherworldly, you should. If you're not, maybe wonder, ask yourself, Why? Am I counting the cost of following Jesus? Am I taking up my cross daily? And, and here's what Jesus is, is getting at. Um, he's saying, if you can simply intellectually say, Jesus is the Son of God. Yet yeah, Jesus died for sin. Yet yeah, Jesus rose again. And that does not equate... To him being the blazing center of your life, by which everything else in your life rotates around, then the issue is probably not apathy. The issue is probably not laziness. It's probably not a commitment issue. It's probably not a desire issue. It's probably a spiritual deadness issue. I mean, it's probably in it because here, if you can say, "I see the weight, I see the call, I see the worth, I see all that is the glory of Christ on the cross," and that doesn't translate to "I will deny myself, pick up my cross, and and follow Him," then that's not Christianity, right? That's that's not the gospel. There's there's something defective in you that needs to be reawakened. So listen, this is not an issue of man. I'm just not disciplined. I'm just not. I don't think that's where Jesus is getting at all. I think he's just laying the, laying the ground saying, man, if, if you really understand what it means that I'm the Christ, that, that man, I, I hold the solar system, that I hold the riches of all that exists, and, and I'm, I'm calling you to be mine. If, if you don't understand that, what I'm rescuing you out of in your sinful dead state and making you alive in Christ and adopting you as my son and daughter, if, if you don't understand that, then you don't understand Christianity. How can there be no denial of yourself now? How can there be no picking up of your cross and following after me? I'm the greatest treasure that exists. He's showing us here that it is an issue of the heart. It's an issue of spiritual deadness. And um, this is why um, (laughs) there's no such thing as like part-time followers of Jesus. You see that a lot, right? Yeah, I want to follow Jesus, but it's all on a contract. It's all on like your terms. So you've got this list over here and you're going to follow him based upon how many of these things he fulfills for you. Right? So, hey, if you come through here, 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 and here, then I'm in. That's the contract, right? No, we're in covenant with him. I mean, there's, there's no bargaining. There's no bartering. There's no, because you got the best end of the deal already, right? I mean, he already rescued you from your dead state. You're already in a dead stupor in your coffin. He walked by and said, get up, be made alive. And I'm, I'm gifting you the riches that are in Christ. Just read Ephesians sometime. Let it blow your mind, right, who you truly are, what your true worth is in Christ. So that's what he does for us. right? That's what he, that's what he gifts us. That's what he enables us to be. And so there is no, there's no sense in even thinking that there's part-time followers of Jesus. Because, listen, if you're always second-guessing the value of following Jesus, we will never make Christ look great, right? So, so here's the question for us, okay, as we kind of walk in this, in this text this morning. Um, one is, um, have you left your old life? Just very honestly, have you left your old life? I can't answer that for you. Be able to discern a little bit, but I can't answer the inner workings of your soul. Have you have you left your old life? Do you obey Jesus? Period. Do you obey Jesus? Period. Not with if clauses. Do you obey Him? Jesus says it, so we do it. Denying my rights. I'm taking up my cross. I'm following him. I'm not following anybody else. He's where my allegiance is. Here's where my surrender is. Do you obey Jesus? Period. No conditions. Um, I like thinking about it as this idea of like you're you're in control of your life, right? Before you meet, or you think you are, you're really not, but. You think you're in control of your life. You love it. You're making all your decisions, all your wants, all your dreams. You got everything set out for you. You know nothing about the saving work of Jesus. And you're in your car driving on the highway, and so, at some point in time, if you're a Christian, I don't know if it was here, I don't know where it was, you, you encounter him, right? He reveals himself, right? You see him on the side of the road, and you drive up to him, and you see the weight and the glory of his person and work. I mean, you are so keenly aware of your frailty and of your sin and of your unworthiness in his presence, of his utter holiness, of the belittlement of his glory that you have continued to lay upon him and thinking that you are God and he is not. You, you see it all, and then you see the wrath-absorbing cross of Christ on your behalf. You see it. You, you taste it. You enjoy it. You see him actually becoming your sin for you. And you see him gifting you the righteousness of his perfectly obedient life on your behalf. You see all that, right? And you say to yourself, yeah, I want that. Wait, you're going to adopt me into that family? Wait, there's a future glory? Wait, there's an there's a eternal damnation of eternal torment. There's an eternal bliss in heaven with God, with Christ. Yeah, I want that. So here's what... Many people do. They go, yeah, I want Jesus. Their understanding of following Jesus, pursuing Jesus is going, all right, Jesus, hop in the trunk. I got a pop for you. Hey, anytime I need you, get out and help me, right? So you're still in control of your life. You're still doing everything else. All he is is a cosmic vendor. All he is is your life help coach who comes out when you need help to do something. So, hey, got a flat tire, got some scratches. Hey, need an oil change. You back there? Is there a jack? And that's how you treat him. So you will say with your lips, he's my master, but really what you want is slave. He's just like, hey, he's my slave. This is me following Jesus, right? Here's the contract I'm in, and any time I need something, I call on him. But don't ever tell me what to do. Right? Don't ever tell me how to live life or how marriage works or relationships work or how I should do my finances or how I should orient myself or be involved in the church or don't step into any of those lanes. Those are private me, right? Private me. This is private Christianity, right? Even though you're in a relationship with him, that's weird. So, so here's what we're saying. And so we're laying all those rights down going, no, no, no. I'm going to get out of the driver's seat. I'm going to hop in the trunk. Right? I'll be back here all huddled up in the fetal. And if you need me, man, I'll be available. I can't believe you're letting me join you. I can't believe you're letting me enjoy Enjoy this walk with you and seeing the wonders of your grace and the wonders of your mercy. I can't believe you're letting me be even with you in this. I mean, that that's that's the difference. So it makes sense if when you saw him, anybody saw him, you understood rightly the gospel of Jesus Christ, you would get out of the driver's seat. Some of you are saying, I'm not that bad. I put him in shotgun. Right? No, I put him in shotgun, and we talk about life issues, we dialogue about stuff. Yeah, and he gives me advice. Gives me advice on my life, right? No, you ain't touching the steering wheel. Though. Get your hands off that. That that's that's not Christianity. That's not that's not the gospel. That's not salvation. It's not. Now listen, though, for some of you you're going, what? Okay, let's 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 walk in this. Let's sit in this for a minute, because Jesus is gonna keep saying stuff like this. Like, this isn't new to him. These aren't new sayings. He's serious. He's serious about the call of discipleship and the call of following him and the, and the cost that's involved. So is he, is he Lord? Does he have allegiance? Is he Lord of your marriage? Does he, does he dictate how you operate in that? Is he Lord of your money? Does he dictate how you operate in that? Is He Lord of relationships? Does He dictate how you operate that? Are you always trying to find ways to justify sin and do something else? Or or you say, yeah, no, you said it, period. You're right. I trust you. Because here's the thing. Um, Here's where the denial of self fits in. Wherever there's love of self and greater love for sin, there will never be a denial of self and a taking up of your cross. Right? Wherever love of self and love of Your own idolatry and worth is esteemed and put up that will always diminish your pursuit of denying yourself and following after him. So I want to say this here. Discipleship is progressive. And you're going to see this through the rest of the book of Luke, right? The disciples have fluctuations in their faith, but there's always repentance. There's always a coming back to him. There's always a following of him. But but it's progressive. And here's why I want to say this. The reason I want to say that, the reason that's so important to understand is is because if you think by you being more committed or you having self-denial, if you think that somehow makes you right with God, you're missing it. Okay? Well, like, like self-denial never saved anyone from hell. Okay? So you thinking less of yourself and you're just thinking more of him. That never saved anybody. If you look at actually the context here, this is what's amazing. It doesn't say, hey, if you follow me, I'll go to the cross for you. It says, hey, I'm going to the cross for you, so follow me. And so we gladly do. We come and die to ourselves following Jesus who is taking our sin and shame to Calvary. And, and so being a disciple is you're not saved because you're a disciple. You're a disciple because you understand the saving work of Christ in your life. And it flushes itself out in verse 23. Look at He doesn't stop. He doesn't let up. Look at verse 24. At this point, I was like, hey, Jesus, calm down. Doesn't stop. Forever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul or himself? You want to save your life spiritually speaking? You give it to Christ. You want to lose your life spiritually speaking forever in utter damnation and torment and hell forever? You hold on to it. I love my sin too much. I love the idolatry of myself. I love being God of my life. Hold on to all those things. Hold on to your life. You'll lose it forever. You'll lose your soul forever. If you love your life that much, you don't get the cost and the worth of Jesus. Right? And and this is, listen, this is the issue for anybody, right? Well, wait a second. And you see this in culture. You see this on TV. You see this in the news, especially with a lot of the prominent issues today. Wait, he's calling me to change? I don't want that. Wait, he calls me to give up something? I don't want that. Well, you just don't understand who Jesus is. You don't understand the good, saving grace of Jesus. He hasn't awakened you to the worth of who he is and all that his nature is. And so here we're seeing Jesus get even more serious, saying if you hold on to your own will, if you hold on to your own way, if you hold on to your own self-glory, if you worship everything outside of God, you'll end up losing your life forever. Save your life by losing it now. And then you'll save it forever. Amazing these words that he uses. So and, and look at what he says though. He says, For my sake. That's so important. Listen, we're not talking about the self-denial in like self-inflictive abuse. And I've even heard that taught. That that's that's demonic. Okay, we're not talking you you deny yourself and abuse yourself, and you're worthless and no. What he's talking about is he says, it's for my sake. So we're not talking about you strap bombs on yourself and go in and blow people up so you got your 72 virgins on lots of different pillows waiting for you. That's not what he's talking about. He says, the only type of self-denial is for the sake of Jesus Christ, for his mission, for his message, for greater love for him, greater want for him. It's, it's all for the sake of Jesus that's why you're denying yourself. That's why you're picking up your cross. That's why you're willing to welcome abuse and welcome pain and welcome, you know, people who make fun of you or mock you or even if it means utter death. You're welcoming that because it's the sake of Jesus. It's for the sake of Jesus. I remember when, um, <laughs> I remember when we did high school ministry before we moved here and there was this girl named Sani. She was Hindu Sweet girl. And she started coming to Wednesday nights and she started coming Sunday mornings and she started asking a lot of questions about Jesus and who he was. And I knew that she lived in a real hostile home. And uh what we would do is we'd do these, you know, elaborate retreats in the summers and and uh sometimes we'd have baptisms there and she wanted to get baptized. She wanted to put her faith in Jesus. And I remember what we would do is we would always sit down with the students and we just we just wanted to make sure they understood want to make sure they were counting the cost and so I remember sitting down with her going okay Sandy, you understand that when you get home your mom is probably gonna be very upset right understand that right yeah I understand that okay you understand that they may not want you to stay in your home yeah I understand that okay you understand that the friends that you've been involved in right and you've been sharing this with me—that that, that look at pornography on their phones, and that they love sleeping with the boys, and they love sneaking out. You realize they're, they're probably going to not want to hang out with you anymore. You're probably going to be friendless in that sense, right? You get, you understand that? Yeah, I understand that. Okay, <laughs> let me just let me make sure <laughs> you understand that your life from here on out might be very difficult. In the sense of going against the grain of culture and living within a family that will constantly malign you and constantly having to make decisions to stand up for a Jesus that doesn't make sense to most people. You realize that there's a remnant that's going to be saved, that not everyone's going to like this. You understand that. Yeah, I understand this. I love Jesus. That was like, I didn't know how to respond to that. I felt like I was getting saved. Like, listen to her. I'm like, but, but that's, that's the idea of what Jesus is laying out here. Like, and, and, and what's amazing is Sanny, she went on to college. She went on to a Christian university where her brother became a Christian. Her mom started emailing Chris and I, asking questions, dialoguing. That's just God's grace. She didn't have to. But, but she counted the cost. She understood. She, she wasn't believing something else. She didn't believe that he was a life coach or that, you know, he just, she just plopped her dollar bill in and whatever she wanted he would send out. She knew, she knew what she was jumping into because she saw the beauty and majesty of Jesus on the cross being slaughtered for her, ransoming her, covering her in his life through his death, through his resurrection, walking through the fire for her love that astounded her. And she was changed. She was transformed by it. Right? She counted the cost of that. And that's why... Look, Jesus knows we're saying that. He goes, I know what you're thinking. That's an awful lot, Jesus, to ask. And he goes, okay, what if I gave you the whole world? man? mean, what if I gave you the wealth of everything? What if I gave you every piece of clothing, every house you owned, every monetary piece of paper that is money, every... Every prominent figure was yours. Every act of achievement was yours. Every bit of fame was yours. What if I gave you it all and in exchange for that, you lost it all for eternity? He's going, that's a bad deal. Like it doesn't matter. I could give you everything in the world, but what good is that exchange if that's just a blip here and you've got forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever ever in eternal torment apart from God? How is that a good deal? You're going to forfeit your eternal soul for temporary wants and loves and likes and lusts? No. No, the person who sees Jesus says, yeah, no, I want him over that because that's everlasting. It's e- eternal worth, eternal value. It's, it's amazing what he, he says there. Here's how identity connects. Um, if you gain the entire world, you will never have a stable self, ever, because you weren't built for it. You were built for Jesus. Okay, so, so until you deny yourself the gaining of everything that says that makes you big and makes much of you, and you turn to Jesus, who you were built for, who is by nature everything, you are gaining it all, right, wrapped up in the person and work of Jesus. Only then will you have a stable self. Only then will you have something rock solid to stand on. All of this. Look, at what he, look at how he closes this out. Verse 26. And he doesn't let up. For whoever's a, oh, by the way, whoever is ashamed of me in my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. That last verse is so weird. We'll say that in a minute. But this is how it connects. Being ashamed of Jesus means to deny who he is. You don't deny yourself, you deny him. And here's what's, what's profound here. He says, to the person and message of Jesus, that's indivisible. Whoever's ashamed of me and my words. Jesus is saying, hey, me, being the Christ, being Lord, and my message, which is the gospel, is indivisible. Like, you can't say that I'm like enamored with Jesus, I think Jesus is cute, I think he'd be a good buddy, but you don't agree with his message. It's together, you're not ashamed of both. His message and his personal work is indivisible, utterly together. It's a package deal. I believe who Jesus says that he's the Christ and he ransoms, ransoms sin and, 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 and everything he says, every bit of truth that he speaks. Amen, too. I don't get a pick and choose, so when culture says, no, this is marriage, and culture says this is this, no, 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 I go with what Jesus said, and what he has, and what he's done, not just who he was, agreeing that he was the Christ, but his message. They're not indivisible. It's incredible, it's it's just, it's mind-blowing that to me, when I saw this, that he links those two things utterly together. To be a Christian is not to be ashamed of Christ, and not be ashamed of anything he says. Are you ashamed of things that Jesus says? Do you, do you cower up? When people walk by and say, well, did Jesus say this? And you know what he said about it. Well, I don't really know if that's what he meant. I think yeah, it's out of context. I think he was talking to, you know, somebody else who was dealing with this issue. And or, Is that what he said? I mean, challenging. We're not ashamed of Christ. We're not ashamed of his message. Jesus is saying, me and my words, they go together. You can't separate Jesus ever from his gospel. Faith alone, Christ alone. You start adding works in, but you still like Jesus. That's, that's not Christianity. You can't love Jesus and then kind of divide what he said about how someone is saved. And how was brought into the kingdom of God and denying yourself and picking up your cross and following me. So he says to the non-Christian, the one who loves their own glory more than who's ashamed of Jesus, dismissive of Jesus, guess what? That's what he will do to you when he returns in all his glory, with all his angels, with the glory of the Father. I want you to think about this just for a minute. Think about reality. Think about that moment when Jesus, I mean in all his glory, returns. Okay, Either post our death or while we're still on the earth he's not only returning with all his glory, he's returning with the fullness of glory of the Father and then his whole angelic host and all of their glory, right? Okay, and and, and in that moment as as he returns and we are standing before judgment, right? I mean, the judgment seat of Jesus. What is the one thing that you would not want to hear? I mean, what would terrify you? I'm ashamed of you. I never knew you. You never stood up for me. You never loved me. You talked all day long how you loved church at Bergen and how you loved reading your Bible and you. You don't love me. The second one thing entered your life, you were out. The second one lust came along, you were after it. The second, no, you didn't. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. So he will shame us, and rightly do it because he can, because in his grace and mercy he gave us all the way up until that day. However long, whether it's five minutes or five million years. But how sweet would it be to hear? Man, I'm not ashamed of you, Mike. You were not ashamed of me. I'm not ashamed of you, Brian, and Sarah and John. Man, I'm not ashamed of you. You're mine. I love you. Man, I saw the way that you were not ashamed of me. That's powerful. But I mean, you we gotta think about reality. Like we gotta think about that day, like like what that'll actually be like. I mean this is so weighty. I'm reading that this week going, man, I don't want him to be ashamed of me. I mean I don't want those words to ever come out of his mouth. Mean I want nothing more than God to say, I'm pleased. Well done. That's not how you're saved. You're not saved by him saying he's pleased. Based upon the provisional work of what he did, and in that provisional work, how that transformed your life, he's pleased in that, in the transformation that occurred as well. So he's talking about the second advent when Jesus comes back in his blazing glory. Those who reject Jesus by association, you're ashamed of him, right? So if we reject Jesus by association, we're ashamed of him, he'll, sh- he'll, he'll shame you. But those of us who identify with Jesus, follow Jesus, deny ourselves, take up our cross, pursue him, love him, want him, based upon all that he did, man, he's going to say, I'm not ashamed of you, you're mine. Now, now look, at, look at, I want to I show you something, because all these words are directly tied to the Old Testament. Okay, People knew son of man, they knew what he was talking about. Everybody knew that, even in Daniel, that, that there was this Messiah that was going to come in and, and usher in the historic reign okay, of the Messiah. So look at John 12 real quick, and then we're going we're to end. okay? Because this is so familiar to the Jewish people. I want to show you how this identity, love, worth, worship all kind of ties together. Because for some, they weren't willing to count the cost because of their self-righteousness and because of their idolatry. Look at John 12, verse 42. If you have your Bible, just flip back to John 12. Verse 42. Look at what it says. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They were people that saw Jesus. They saw his works, they even believed he was the Messiah, and then as soon as the cost was laid before him, they're like, I'm out. I I don't want to be put out of the synagogue. I don't want religious leaders to think bad of me, man. I love what people think of me. I love the applause, I love the achievement, I love all that, That's, that's where my worth is. That's where my identity is. I'm not exchanging that identity for this one. Now listen, Jewish people, they knew this meant you might lose your spouse, you might lose your children, you might lose your life, you might lose your family. You are kicked out of the synagogue. You are excommunicated out of the religious elite, out of the religious groupings, out of the religious establishment. So you can see these people here thinking to themselves, man, I don't know if I want to follow Jesus. I don't know that I can count that cost. I don't know that I'm going to deny myself all that I love and all that I want for him. And so they chose not to because they love the glory of themselves more than they love the glory of God. We, you're going to see this throughout the endings of Luke. All this is an issue of identity, where their worth and worship was. And Jesus says, fine, you're going to be ashamed of me and not worry about those people who ashamed, are ashamed of you in the synagogue? Then I'm going to be ashamed of you on the day of judgment. The Son of Man. You all know who the Son of Man is. I know you've all read Daniel. He's telling these people, There's a second coming. Um, And then Jesus says this last statement there, guys, that's very interesting, which we're going to actually talk about next week. He says, by the way, there's some of you standing here today who won't taste death until you see the kingdom of God. (laughs) He's saying, this second coming, the second advent, it's true. Now, some of you standing here today are actually not going to see the second advent. He knows that. He knows they're going to die. There are many who have died who have not seen the second advent yet. So what he says is, some of you, before you die literally on this earth, I'm going to give you kind of a behind the scenes of the kingdom of God. You're going to see a taste of those realities. Now, I think it's in the transfiguration, which is next week where we'll get. Because the disciples are wondering, but, but you just said you're going to die. So, so how, how is the historic reign going to be ushered in? I mean, how is this all going to happen? I mean, if you're going to die, then what's going to, how is this all going to pan out? And I think we're going to see next week without, with the transfiguration. So let me just close with this. Um, This whole issue that Jesus, I said, is challenging us with is this issue of um, just identity. And and let me say this. Um, Because it's a change in what you believe your worth is and it's a change in your worship. And here is the crazy thing. (laughs) You can't do this by just deciding it. And and that, that might like really rub you the wrong way. Like, you can't just decide all of a sudden. You know what? Yeah, my priorities are wrong. My identity's been here. It's been in expectations. It's been in achievements. It's been in people. It's been in, like, that's not transformation. That's just acting, okay? What you need is you need to see something. You need to behold something. You need to taste something that is so strong in worth and worship, that you don't just kill a sin and move on to another addictive want, that no other addictive wants or want to be pursued because you see the one thing that satisfies the human soul because you were built for him. So here's what Jesus said back when when Peter said, hey, you're the Christ. If you read Matthew, you know what he says? Blessed are you, Peter, because God the Father has revealed this to you. Like, Peter wasn't more clever, he was more smart, he didn't have some hidden talent, the Father revealed to him this truth. So here's what I'm saying, you need to beg God to reveal to you his glory and worth so that a transformation happens. You don't just leave simply saying, I'm deciding not to do that. That's just a lot of sin management, you'll be really tired and really frustrated really quick. You need to say, God, like you did to Peter, Man, reveal to me. I mean, 1 Corinthians 2, the things of the spiritual realm are spiritually discerned, right? It has to illuminate your heart, illuminate your mind. So ask him. Say, God, man, show me your worth. Because only until the amazing beauty of Jesus and all that he did, all that we've talked about, truly penetrates the depth of your deepest sense of self, will you be transformed to have a new identity and a new want and a new thing of worship. You've got to behold him. You have to see him. I mean, you really have to see him. You have to see your sin on him. You have to see wrath stopped. You have to see him saying, I'm not ashamed. (laughs) Let's ask him. Let's ask him for help this morning. God, um, I'm thankful that that we can do nothing apart from you because that means there's nothing that we can do that's creative or clever to help us do something new. So we're going to ask you for it. God, I pray this morning you might reveal yourself in kind ways, that you might show people the beauty that is in the cross of Jesus Christ and in his resurrection. That, God, you would give us a great love for that. That, that, that seeing you walk through the fire for us and seeing you love us with an otherworldly love would do something to us. That it would literally cause transformation, that it would cause new affections that it would cause new desire, that it would cause new love and new pursuit. Father, would you be kind to us in that way? Would you be gracious to us? Would you reveal yourself just like you revealed to Peter that you're the Christ? God, for those this morning who have hard hearts and and, and dead minds and dead souls, God, would would you awaken them? Would you make them alive in Christ? God, for those of us who feel like you are a bit numb to us this morning, Would you rekindle in us affections that love you, that makes it a longing and a beauty and a privilege to deny ourselves all the things that we once thought brought us significance and identity, that we would lay those aside gladly for the sake of seeing you as our greatest treasure. Father, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for the call. God, would you make us a people like this? In Jesus' name, amen.